Hey everyone, and welcome back to the One Thing Podcast. I'm Nikki Miller. And I'm Chris Dixon. <laughs> and today we are meeting Whitney Elkins Hutton, who is the Director of Investor Education at PassiveInvesting.com, the co-author of the international number one bestseller, Resilient Women in Life and Business, host of the Passive Investing Made Simple and Multifamily Investor Nation YouTube shows and podcasts, and a partner in an $800 million plus real estate portfolio, including over 6,500 residential units, 15 express car washes, and more than 2,200 self-storage units across 11 states and an experienced flipper of over $5 million in residential real estate. Chris, this was such a cool example of the one thing in in real time, like real life action. I loved this conversation. Yeah, and all of those accolades, albeit very extensive, you forgot one that's very important. She, at one point, owned a home with a bus stuck sticking out of the top of it. So that's, that's been interesting. But I agree with you. I, I think she 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 really did have a, like a, a great way of connecting her investment strategy to simple tools. And also, it aligns perfectly with what we believe in and the one thing philosophy. Absolutely. And she was talking to us about her book, Money for Tomorrow, which is really a simplified step-by-step guide to not only growing your wealth, but also passing that wealth on and maximizing the wealth that you have. And I thought her strategy around this was really simple, really actionable. And I can't wait for everyone to get to listen to this. Yeah. No matter where you are, if you're just getting a little spark of interest in, in investing and, and setting yourself up for success in the future, or you're, you're well down that path, there's a lot you can take away from this conversation. All right, let's go listen to Whitney. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the One Thing Podcast. I'm so excited to have Whitney Elkins Hutton here, who I got the pleasure of meeting at our recent in-person goal-setting retreat. She is a best-selling author. She's a speaker. She's an investor, a business owner, and she is here to talk to us about her story and her newest book coming out in February, Money for Tomorrow. Welcome, Whitney. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here. This is such a pleasure. Thank you for being here. We're so excited to get to share you with our audience because, like I said, I already got the pleasure of hearing a lot about your story and, and I know some of what you're going to talk to us about today. And this is just going to be such a, a gift for everyone. So tell tell those that haven't gotten to hear it, who didn't join us at the in-person goal-setting retreat, tell us your story. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll start where I'm at today. Today, I am the owner of Ash Wealth, uh, which is a education company. Um, we focus on teaching you know, people how to become financially independent and capable um, through various types of investment, mostly backed by real estate. I'm also the um, director of investor education at PassiveInvesting.com. And so here I get to work with um, you know, those investors, carry them through, like, how do we design your plan all the way? Let's execute on some investments passively where, you know, if you have a higher and better use of your time in your job, you can certainly like put your money to use and do what you were meant to do that either lights you up or lights up the world. Um, this is not where I started off my journey. I actually, um, you know, we could go way back, but, um, you know, actually, you know, just kind of going back to the beginning of my real estate journey, um, you know, 2002, I, um, bought my first house with a significant other relationship fell apart about a month later and I had everything, you know, under my name, the mortgage, utilities, everything. 
And, you know, it made things smooth as far as like who gets what on the house, but it also made it very difficult because I would, you know, I thought this, you know, this is, you know, I already, for me, the financial crisis was already happening and I thought I was going to get just completely bit. So I stepped up full of roommates and um, 11 months later, I sold the property, learned several things on my own because remember YouTube didn't exist back then. Um, So I had to learn things out of a book, (laughs) how to do plumbing, how to do drywall. Imagine that, Whitney. Right? I'm dating myself (laughs) here. But long story short, um, you know, 11 months later, I sold the house because I thought, surely this is going to sink me. You know, how can a house be an investment? I was cultivated to, you know, invest in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, stuff as much money as you possibly can into your retirement accounts, because that's the way we do it, especially here as Americans. And uh, anyways, I, 11 months later, sold the property, walked away with a $52,000 check. I'm sitting there filling out all my forms with the IRS, trying to figure out how much I have to pay in taxes because I was moving for my job. It was a big goose egg, zero in taxes on this money. I'm like, and then I was like, okay, I wonder how much this thing cost me to hold. And sure enough, I'd actually been making money every single month. And I'm like, wait a second. I just <laughs> wiped out my entire housing bill. Didn't made it made made more than I was making in my day job that had me traveling, you know, 80 almost 80 hours a week sometimes. And I don't have to pay any taxes on it. I'm like, what is this that I just stumbled on? Sign me up for this magic. <laughs> I'll play that slot machine every day of the week. Um, but long story short. You know, I was completely bitten by the real estate bug, but also that, you know, you know, set off some other, um, set me on a different path as far as like personal development. Like, how do I like, I know nothing about real estate. How do I like, you know, figure all this out? How do I, you know, why on earth would I take my portfolio in my own hands? Like we're supposed to invest it with somebody else. That means I have to take personal accountability. Anyways, over the course of several years, um, you know, I did several things. I live in Flipton House Act, several projects, um, took that equity and invested in 36 single family units, um, continuing to flipping, you know, 10, uh, 10 properties a year on the side. Um, then eventually I decided that, Hey, you know, we've got a little girl at home. I'm taking care of some family members. I need my time back, like really need my time back. Um, so decided to go in on larger properties as a general partner, as well as divert a lot of our equity and cash flow into, um, you know, uh, passive investments like multifamily self-storage express car washes and stuff like that. Um, at the end of the day, um, my husband and I, we've scaled over $800 million of real estate in partnership, um, you know, thousands of units in multifamily, self-storage, express car washes, a myriad of other investments. But really what my passion is today is helping people understand that there is an avenue for you to um, take charge of your own wealth building. Uh, and you don't have to do it actively. You don't have to be an active landlord if you don't want to. Whitney, I love so much about your story, but the the thing I I would say I love the most is that you explain it so eloquently to how you got to where you are today. And I think you do a great job of not missing any steps because so often we see someone like you. And if I'm early on in my journey and I don't even like know what a savings account is, I might look at you and say like, oh my gosh, I I literally can't imagine bridging the gap between where I am and where I want to be in the future. But you can really follow the small dominoes that you lined up 
in your entire story. Like you can really see how you sequentially grew. You didn't just start at being able to scale $800 million of real estate. You sort of started house hacking before you even knew that you were house hacking by getting all those roommates kind of out of necessity. So can you tell me a little bit about where, where that came from? I always say that, that, you know, constraints are the mother of ingenuity. And I don't know if you did this naturally, like, or if you knew you were doing it, but tell me that part about your story, because I think it's a really, really beautiful sort of escalation and evolution in your story. Well, I'm, I'm not one that ever took the word no to actually mean no. It always meant for me, not now. And then two, um, just in my household, um, you know, resiliency was huge. Like we were, um, you know, my parents always taught me how can, you know, if you get knocked down, how do you get back up? Like always get back up, you know, you know, this is not going to be the thing that knocks you down, right? Like there's a lesson to be learned here. And so I really, you know, for lack of better words and a better answer, it was just kind of how I was, you know, um, you know, what was instilled in me, like as I grew up, Now, here's the thing is a lot of people were like, those values weren't taught to me. Like I, my parents didn't teach me that, or I didn't have parents, you know, you know, I grew up with another family member. Like, this is just not how my family ran. The thing is, these things, resiliency can be trained. And even if somebody is naturally resilient, they're constantly reminding themselves, butting up against obstacles. And every single time they hit an obstacle, they have to make a choice. Is am I is this uh, obstacle conspiring against me or conspiring for me? Like, am I supposed to take a lesson away from here? And so, um, you know, that's you know goes back to things that I always talk about. You know, you have to cultivate the mindset just because some people might actually have it. It might be easier for them, but just because you're just like, man, I, I don't have that kind of mindset. Don't don't write it off. That is something that can be cultivated and learned. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like Breakfast on the Go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash O-N-E-5-0 and use code O-N-E-5-0 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Beyond the mindset, which makes perfect sense, do you, you know how we approach goal setting? We, we ask people to gain some clarity first, to zoom out into the future. Like, what do you really want? What are your values? And let that inform how you begin to work and take action. Do you, do you approach it the same way as people are getting clarity about their wealth journey? And how do you get them to move from maybe a place where they haven't taken any action to directionally knowing where they want to go? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so it starts with the question, what do you want? Right. And so I'm a big fan of the one thing. Right. Um, You know, we were, you know, Jane and I were like laughing about it on stage. Like I bought I was probably like the second person in line to buy the book. Um, I was like, this thing just resonates with me. Um, My husband and I just went through the process together ourselves again. This is like going to be our seventh year, eighth year doing this. So. 
Um, but you know, there's, I love the process. The one thing lays out, of course, guys go get the book, lay it out there. Um, but you know, if you're looking for an abridged version, you have to understand what do you want? And, um, really sit down and answer that question. Most people, when they say, what do they want? Um, they're probably running away from something like, you know, um, mm. I want out of my job. <laughs> like I wanted to not have all these bills hanging on, over my head, but I really encourage people to sit down with it. You know, kind of like what the one thing says, think out to someday, think out into the future, because that's going to be your North star. It's going to be your guiding light. Um, there is going to be that, that, that pain will keep you motivated on a day-to-day basis to continue to take action, but really getting clear of what you might be painting out in the future, um, is what's going to keep you aligned with your decisions that you're making. Now, here's the thing for somebody who's never flexed that muscle before that, what do you want? They might only be able to see like one year or two years or three years into the future, but asking them to go five, 10, 15, 20 is going to be like deer in headlights. Start with where you're at because as you prove the model to yourself, as you start experiencing success in this type of thinking, you'll be able to project out further, right? You'll be able to establish some, you know, other things. How many times do you talk to somebody, you know, Nikki and Chris, and they'd be like, you ask them what do they want? And you're like, do you, do you want to travel the world or like, um, you know, set up a foundation? They'd be like, oh, who am I to do that? Mm. Right. If you come back to them like three or four years later, they might have a totally different answer for you because they've become they've started flexing that muscle. I'm so glad that you said that, Whitney, because I think this is a really important point. And I would I would guess that you didn't start with the day that you sold the house or right before that when you were struggling financially to, yes, someday in the future, I'm going to be a, the type of person who manages $800 million uh, uh, worth of real estate. I don't think that that was the future you saw for yourself at that point. So can you walk us through some of the stages that you sort of leveled up? Because I think sometimes people say, well, if I can't see that far, maybe it's not in the cards for me. And I'll tell them no is certainly not a natural evolution. You keep seeing a little bit further as you climb that mountain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So initially, whenever I bought that first house, I, I had new intentions on ever investing or accumulating a portfolio. It was just, you know, um, just what I thought was a natural evolution in my American dream, right? Go to school, get a job, get married, have kids, buy a house, right? You know, maybe buy a house and have kids, right? Like we're going to put the traditional narrative steps in order. Um, So I didn't really see that. But after I got through that experience of that first property, I'm like, huh, this is kind of cool. I wonder if I could do it again or if it was a fluke. Now, the second time actually did not go nearly as well. (laughs) Um, Well, let's just sum up the story that it ended with a bus falling into the roof of the property, me not getting sued and breaking barely even on the property after it came on the market for over 12 months. Wow. So anyway. No, no, no. No, no, no. Go backwards. A bus... Uh, yes, a bus. Yeah. How does how does a bus fall through the roof uh, of a property? Yeah. So the property was built into the side of a hill, and my neighbor above me had a tenant living in a school bus that was parked on top of the retaining wall behind my house. And when um, the retaining wall, my retaining wall, was doing okay, it was cracked a little bit. But when the buyer who wanted to buy the property wanted a whole new retaining wall put in. There was, you know, uh, my realtor was amazing and just said, if I brought $6,000 to closing, you know, everything would be taken care of. All the other expenses fell on the buyer. Well, 
this retaining wall, by the time it was all said and done, inflated up to like twenty to $30,000. I still to this day have no idea who paid for that, the retaining wall. I only brought $6,000 to closing, right? Um, but anyways, this, you know, supposedly bomb-proof retaining wall that all of the city inspectors, you know, everybody's signed off on, can't collapse, can withstand the weight of the bus should my neighbor, who's so inclined, move her tenant back into to place on the property less than 24 hours, 72 hours of it being completed, 24 hours after being uh, the property actually closing, it tumbled into the roof of the property. Oh unfortunately, God. the tenant in it, everybody was okay. Everybody was fine. <laughs> Holy cow. This is the stuff that you can't make up in real estate investing. And you still broke even. They're pretty amazing. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> you know, if you get, and that's taken into account all the tax savings and everything like that. But um, long story short, you know, even then, um, you know, I was together with my husband and he was like, Oh, that is so wonderful that you're out from under that property. You know, let's look forward to the future. And I'm like, I think I got this real estate thing figured out. He was like, on what planet do you think you have this figured out? And I'm like, well, <laughs> I, I, I had a lot of obstacles here that I can lessons and learnings that I can take into the new property. I think I got it figured out. Let's do another project. Let's see if we can, you know, maybe not in the mountains, but maybe like closer in town with no like, you know, no buses in sight, no, no buses buying the property, no terrain features, you know, um, away from all waterways, you know, like maybe we can figure this out. But, um, you know, so as far as like incremental steps, I think it was, you know, one, that fourth, that, that mindset, like, even if you butt up against an obstacle, what can I learn that I can take into the next situation? Um, two, uh, for me, it took me 10 years, guys. This is what, you know, we always talk about when you see an iceberg, there's just like, what, 10 or 20% of it above water, the rest is underwater. It took me 10 years to transition from living, flipping to house hacking to actually buying my first rental. Mm. But when wow. I did that, when I understood how to buy the first rental and I proved to myself, oh, the tenants actually do pay rent and I actually do get to put money in my pocket. Hmm. Can I do this again? You know, take another step. And then I'm like, can I do it 10 more times? What if I bought a multifamily, like a duplex or a quadplex? Do they, will everybody there? Okay, great. They'll do that. Um, what if I go buy a small, like 52 unit building with some partners? Oh, that works too. Right. So it's just those incremental steps that you start to like, you know, layer on top of each other. And one thing that I really like, Brandon Turner um, put out a post. This is years ago when he was still at Bigger Pockets. And he was he called it the doubling effect. Like if you buy one house one year, two houses or a duplex the next year, the next year a four unit, and then an eight unit, and then in four years, you're up to a 32 unit and you keep holding on to all these properties. Now you got a 32 unit building. I think you have over 80 units by the time you add it all up in just four years. But you started off with just that one little step. You know, like you know, the one thing says, what is that domino that if you lined up and just pushed it over, could push over a domino more than like what, one and a half or twice its size, right? So that it's just the little step. Like what is the smallest thing that you can do that if you did that, that you'd prove to yourself, I can do something bigger. Yeah, bring you on the on the podcast more often. You're 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 ready to facilitate for us. <laughs> <laughs> what is what is something that is in your experience uh, in your teachings? Now that you're you know fast forward to today and you've you've got a bunch of experience in your belt helping people move along. What do you see as a common 
we call it lead domino or smaller domino that somebody could take uh, that's listening. That's like, all right, I'm in. I want to, I want to sign up for the double hockey stick experience. Like where, where do they go first in your experience to uh, knock a domino over what's common? Yeah. So if it, if you're talking about just actually investing in real estate, you know, maybe you're doing it actively. You want, you want to scale your own portfolio find that first property and that first single family home, you know, even if you broke even or made out just a little bit ahead on cash flow, you know, if you're in a, in a solid area, you, you know, you've, um, you know, taken, you know, risk mitigated as much as possible. Um, you're going to learn so much more from that one transaction than you would if you never got started. Same thing if you are investing in a passive deal, you're going to learn so much more by you know placing twenty five or fifty thousand dollars into one passive investment than you would if you never got started, right? Because you're going to you're going to one start trusting yourself, two start trusting other people and trusting the process. Um, you know, for some people, they're just starting out on how do I organize my finances to mm-hmm. be able to do all those things, and that's what I teach in Money for Tomorrow. Like if we you know, what would it have been that education that we all should have got in, you know, high school that taught us how to win the wealth game? Well, you know, let's back it up. Let's learn the objective of winning the wealth game. Let's learn all those fundamental strategies, those four fundamental strategies. Um, and then let's talk about all the different tactics that you, in principles you need to learn in order to actually win the game. So I, I equate this to like, if you ever, played Monopoly or, you know, my family's really big on Catan and Seven Wonders. I love that game. Yeah. (laughs) Which one? Catan. (laughs) Catan. Yeah. You had, I don't know, like Chris, you remember the first time you played Catan? Did you get it? Did you understand how to win the game? It took me me a little while and I completely got my butt kicked, I think, by all of my friends who are far more experienced. Right. Yeah. You might have gotten, okay, (laughs) (laughs) Right, (laughs) that darn robber right um well so here you know that's a perfect example you probably you know academically understood okay great i have to get to 10 victory points in order to win the game okay anybody here you just in the game you have to get to 10 victory points you win right how you get there is entirely different right um there's like four main strategies in the game in order to get to 10 victory points okay even if you understand that there's still all these tactics that you have to, in principles, you have to master in there to execute on the strategy, to execute on the objective. And so, you know, Nikki, I deviated from your question just a little bit. You know, what is like kind of the lead domino in the situation? It's putting yourself in a, an environment to where you can learn the objective, the strategy, and then the principles in order to win at finances. And that goes with finances. It goes with real estate. It goes with passive investing. You have to put yourself in that environment to actually know what it is. We can consume information all day long. We can consume all the podcasts, read all the articles, but we're actually in the environment to where somebody has handed us a blueprint and we can shortcut our path. You know, that's, that's what's going to get you moving faster. Well, I think that's such an important call out, Whitney, because at the end of the day, you're right. We can we can know for knowing sake, which leads us to nowhere, or we can know for doing sake. And ultimately, we have to know for doing sake and then go out and actually do something about it. Because I, I think so many people, especially when it comes to things with money, because they're nervous about losing, they're nervous about doing it wrong or making the wrong decision or, or losing their money. And so they'll try to come up with the perfect plan and they might research their flip to death and never do it because they're trying to come up with the perfect way and know all the variables to which I'll often say you quite simply can't. 
can't. You like uh, Chris and I always say, you know, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. The Mike Tyson quote. But now for you, like you're you're new. T- I'm going to make you a shirt, Whitney. That's everybody's got a plan until a bus falls through the roof of their house. <laughs> and they're, like, <laughs> there's like there's just there are just things that you cannot plan for. And so it's ultimately like we find the best path forward by implementing that imperfect plan. And you are an amazing example of somebody who did that. So when you're walking somebody through how to get started, I heard you said, like, purchase your first single family. And then you talked about four strategies that you have in uh, the four uh, fundamental strategies in in Money for Tomorrow. Will you share those? Like, if I'm someone who wants to know, okay, I need to know the strategy so I can go execute them. Will you share the strategies and then maybe maybe how I get out of my head and into action? Yeah. So knowing the strategy and then being able to execute the strategy are two different things. But when you're trying to build multi-generational wealth, you need to understand how to create money, keep money, right? Grow money, and then be able to pass it on. Now, how many people, okay, um, if I were in a room full of people, I'd have them raise their hand. But how many people go, okay, I'm going to earn as much as I can in my day job, and then I'm going to go invest. They go from step one strategy, the create Okay, maybe they don't do that well. Maybe they don't do that well. Okay, that's a question mark. And then they go right to executing on all these tactics for growing their wealth. There's a whole continuum in here that they they haven't mastered. So creating wealth, like we have to understand how to move our wealth from active income to residual income. How can we, um, you know, what do we trade our time for dollars for in either our job, our self-employment, job, you know, if you're a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, you own your own company, or if you have your own business, how can we take those chips off the table as quickly as possible and put them into a passive environment? Assets that are going to kick off income that require zero time from you. Okay. Maybe you had to underwrite the deal, but other than that, they require zero time from you to maintain. That's why I love passive deals so much. Um, You know, active real estate, like the fix and flipping and you being a single family uh, landlord or even small multifamily landlord, you're kind of in that hybrid. Like you're creating money, so a little bit is residual, but you're passive with your income, but you're not passive with your time. So we can master that piece all day long. Um, and there's other things in the book, you know, that help you understand how to align it with your happiness, how to underline, uh, align, you know, how you create money with your values you know, how do we like, I hate to, I hate the word budget. I actually kill the word budget in the book, but how do we like actually, um, create a money plan that will work for us and keep you, um, motivated to move forward. Um, then in the keep section, like we talk about the, you know, six different ways that your wealth can, is being eroded. It happens to everybody, but you get to limit that erosion as much as possible. So many people, especially in real estate, focus on the taxes. That is just one of the six ways that you can lose your wealth. Now, whether you went into real estate or not, you can execute on the other five. Um, and then, then we get into the growth stage. Okay, great. We figured out how to you know, you maximize our earning potential, whether it's active or passive or both. We understand how to keep our money, right? That gives us more money to reinvest into our plan. And then we can get to the play, you know, the part where we can actually invest based on principles, not headlines, not tactics. Um, I, that's probably one of the number one tripping points that I see investors make is that they they want to start growing their money. They're impatient. They just want to, they, they want the next best stock bet or the next 
hottest market to invest in, right? Um, but that that's not principles. It doesn't prove out over time. Tactics change, okay? They change based on Congress passing new laws. They pa- change based on the market. Um, and then we need to figure out how to pass that on. Like if we win the wealth game for ourselves and we fail to pass that on to the next generation, be it our personal heirs or if you're leaving your, your wealth to a foundation, um, if we fail to pass that on, then all that work just kind of evaporates and goes away. And then the next generation is starting over. Um, so then I you know, go through some tangible tactics, you know, three-step process on how to fundamentally pass that wealth on to where your heirs aren't going shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves, you know, in three generations. That's kind of like the fame, you know, a, a well-known Chinese quote, quote that people you know, families tend to lose their wealth inside three generations. Mm. You said something at the event that I thought was was interesting when you talked about passive income and and stop me if if this is something that makes more sense to talk about later. But you said there's passive income and then there's passive passive income. And I think maybe for somebody listening that there's a distinction there that's important when you think about what you may have in your mind as passive income. Yeah. So, um, you know, perfect you know, point what we do here at PassiveInvesting.com, we help people invest in passive, passive income. Now, that's not a marketing term you're going to see anywhere in any of our offering memorandums or on our website. But what does that mean? Well, so um, how you earn your income can be deemed earned income or unearned income. Okay, we call that unearned income, passive income. Here's the thing, you have a house, and you have a renter in it, that's considered unearned income. Okay. So it gets taxed differently. Now, if you're managing property, managing that house, you're getting all the calls, you're having, well, for one, sourcing the deal, getting the lending on the deal, you're placing the tenant, you're managing, you know, everything about the tenant, you're doing all the repairs. And then when you go to sell, you're having to figure out how to sell, when to sell all of that. That doesn't sound very passive with your time, right? But you got passive income off of that from the IRS. Okay, so that's fantastic. I call that kind of a leveraged approach. But how can we truly be passive, not only with our income status with the IRS, but also with our time? And that is, you know, maybe you start scaling a large company, right? And you yourself, that company can run without you um, for a year or longer. That's passive income. Um, maybe you scale a real estate portfolio. Um, that's sizable enough that you can hire a COO underneath you. And again, you can step out, you can go travel the world, you can do whatever you're going to do. That's passive income. It doesn't require your time. Or in the case of what we help people do is um, invest in um, you know, what we call group investing or syndicated investments to where you, you, know, you do your due diligence to make sure that investment, that operator's sound, the market sound, and the and investment's a sound investment for your portfolio, but you're hands off for the whole rest of the hold, hold period. That's passive, passive, passive income. 
Whitney, when did you make this evolution? Because I think this is a really important point. So, so many people, to your point, there's passive income that looks a whole lot like another job. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of people in their wealth building journey get stuck here, where we all signed up to get a passive income. And then we look up and say, this, this feels a lot like more work for me. And this is not free. And when did you make this distinction of, I'm working really hard for all of this passive income? I have to have, imagine you had a moment there where you wanted to get to the next level, which is how do I create now passive? passive. Well, I had a moment and then I made a wrong turn. <laughs> oh, um, so, but that's the thing. That's the beautiful thing about decisions is the, it's most important to make a decision and take action. Rarely can you, is there not an opportunity for you to unwind that decision and make a different decision, right? I, hopefully that makes sense to people. So I'll, I'll illustrate it with a story. Um, you know, um, you know, we had 36 single family properties, um, in our portfolio. We were doing about 10 flips a year. And, um, I had a property, I had a couple of property managers. I had a, a construction manager. I had a team, but I was still managing the team. So I, yes, technically I own the LLC. I was technically a business owner, but guys, I was self-employed. If I took a vacation, there was nobody else, um, that was going to step into the role. Well, my husband um, had a major mountain biking accident and broke his neck. Mm. Um, a couple of weeks later, we found out that my mom had passed away. And so it was like wham, wham. And I'm like, it, I was originally going to be out just like three or four weeks to take care of my husband. No big deal. My property manager can kind of keep things afloat. When my mom, we found out my mom passed away, I had a whole other cans of worms to deal with her estate. It was in shambles. And so I was like, I'm going to be out for months. And so I had to figure out really quickly how to uh, level up my team to where I could step out and they could take over, you know, manning the process. Now it worked, but it was out of necessity. Um, so, uh, long story short that, um, at the same time, I will, when I come back from this experience, I'm like, okay, Single family houses, I think I need to like, you know, you know, level up into larger deals. I need to go in general partnership. Okay. You know, these 36, they're kind of annoying. Maybe I just get one big building. Well, how do I do that? So do I do it actively? Do I do it passively? Again, I fell in the same trap. I like, I'm going to take the bet on myself because surely going in partnership on a building is going to be easier than owning 36 by yourself. Not necessarily, guys. Um, so went into partnership. It was an amazing experience. I learned so much from that experience. Um, but at the you know at the end of the day, I what I thought was going to be a nice leveling up, freeing up of my time, ended up to be one of the um, you know put me right back in the same position where I was burning the candle at both ends and five times in the middle. And that's when I was like, okay, COVID hit. I was like, time out. I need to be at largely passive holdings because I need my, that was what was important to me. For me, I have a young child at home. She's not so young anymore. She's almost a teenager, (laughs) but I need to be here. I need to be with her. I need to be um, focused on our own investments. And so really it's, it, it was by trial, by fire. That's how kind of I learned that process. And Whitney, now, you talked about earlier, your passion is really helping people, other people understand their money, how to build wealth, how to grow this. 
How did that evolve? Because you went from, I'm sort of feeling like I've got this whole job and I'm imploding. And then you went to, I'm going to just sort of focus on figuring this out for myself. And then you expanded to, now I'm going to figure this out for other people. What was that evolution for you? Yeah. So um, I uh, did a podcast several years ago, actually one of my first podcasts um, with Bigger Pockets. And then all of a sudden I had all these people reaching out to me. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm just a, um, and this is right about the time that I found the book, The One Thing, because I had a hard time saying no. I wanted to be so helpful, you know, with people. I was like, of course, I want you to have the same thing that I have. Like, there's plenty to go around. Let me teach you how to do it. And um, that was a really hard lesson learned for me um, on how to, one, scale a coaching practice, a mentoring practice, um, and, and keep my boundaries and keep my time. And that's where, um, you know, it, it didn't take me long. It took me about, you know, two and a half, three months to be like, Ooh, I now I got myself a third job. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. And so, um, but I want to, you know, help people. How can I figure out a way that, um, remain true to me and what my needs are to be able to leverage my time, but also at the same time, honor, um, what people need, and which is to learn this, that, you know, that there's tons of information out there, but there, the system, you know, is not easily laid out for people, you know, and, and I know this because it took me years to figure out the system that I teach in money for tomorrow book. Okay. And so the, I was like, okay, um, you know, how can I do this like interesting little dance, um, teach people the system but at the same time, keep myself like honor myself and my time barriers, my time boundaries, and, and, and you know, um, keep my oxygen mask on so I can serve others. And so, you know, for four or five years, I did a lot of like private practice, coaching, consulting. I still do. I still help people scale their portfolios. Um, but then I was like, okay, how can I help more people? It's not necessarily building a larger coaching practice or taking on more one-on-one -on -one clients. For me, it was like, okay, I could write a book that would help the most amount of people, but it was also something like a little breadcrumb I could leave for my family. Okay. Right. That's one of the things I talk about in money for tomorrow. One of the reasons why people fail and passing wealth on is they fail to pass on the knowledge. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to create the most leveraged product I can, what does my daughter need to know in order to succeed? Because I guarantee if I'm writing a book for my daughter, you know, hundreds of thousands of other people need this book. Millions of people need this book. So that's uh, that's kind of where I landed and like how this book came to fruition. As a as a coach of, of many people now, I'm sure. Did did you ever have the experience of of that you that I've experienced in coaching that you you naturally get better at things as you have to teach them? You have certain awarenesses you never would have had as you have had to teach them. And if that's true, what really what part of your game leveled up as you? got to the opportunity to, to go deeper and, and learn how to show people the path? Oh, I love that question. Um, you know, I, I, I firmly believe like as coaches, you attract what you need to work on in your life. Um, and I know funny as that sounds, right. You know, you figure you would attract the people that you, you need to help the most, but sometimes those people reflect back what you need to work on the most. 100%. And, you know, uh, like, so for me, that experience was going through COVID. Um, you know, 
I had a, a massive coaching practice. And then when COVID hit, everybody was like, there's no houses to buy. There's no lending. And uh, for me, I'm like a go, go, go person. I'm a ready fire Eve type person. And so I really felt for my clients during this period, I was like, okay, hold on. We all just need to take a big breath. We need to practice patience. Okay. This is the long game, not the short game, right? Okay. I know you wanted to have this cash flow in a year and maybe what if the cash flow doesn't come to year two or year three, right? Like this is, you know, we're setting ourselves up for long-term wealth, not like to get out of our jobs tomorrow. So I think for me, um, the biggest things that I like learned were, um, patience really, truly in, um, you know, uh, embodying that this is a long-term game, even though I have, you know, wanted to help people achieve their goals really as quickly as they were willing to work or they could invest capital, you know, really at the end of the day, this is very much a long-term game when it comes to investing. Whitney, I think that's an important call out because so many people, I think when they start investing, don't really understand what they're signing up for in terms of the amount of time it takes, the length of time it takes in order to grow their wealth in a meaningful way. And I think a lot of people get discouraged because it doesn't happen what feels like fast because no one taught them the right way. And you mentioned this at the goal setting retreat, that this was really the the long-term wealth strategy, growing wealth over time. How do you advise people there? Because I have to imagine this comes up in coaching. Like I, I'm getting frustrated because it's not happening fast enough, or, or I thought that by executing X many units, I'd be able to quit my job and be a multimillionaire. And, and I we often look up and just say, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't happen overnight, even if it feels like it did for somebody else. Well, and that goes back to the the iceberg analogy, right? So, um, you know, if you go back and Google me, like I technically landed on the scene in, I guess, like 2017, 2018. Guys, I started investing 15 years beforehand in real estate. <laughs> so there's, there's a whole wealth of that journey that is technically not like not found online or like, you know, you have to you dig to find it in another, another arena. Um, so Again, you know, uh, you know, I, I think you know, I've heard it called the twenty-year overnight success, right? And so I think you know, maintaining that expectation, and that's one thing as a coach, I think it's our job to help our our clients, the people we're coaching, um, to not play small, but maintain their expectations that over time, if they take consistent and persistent action, that they will get there, right? There are going to be obstacles. There's going to be bumps in the road. I mean, you know, heck, anybody getting, if somebody started investing at the beginning of 2020, you've had, and you lived in Texas, let's just, or your assets were in Texas, you had um, COVID, you had the power grid go down, you had a couple hurricanes happen, um, right? Like, and now you have like a recession possibly on your hands. Um, that person, you know, it would probably be thinking investing is not for me. I'm going to get out of the game. Same doesn't work. Right. But no, it's taking that consistent and persistent action over time. Um, that is what leads to results. And, you know, Chris, you said it best earlier there. It, it's eventually hockey stick growth, right? You continue to knock down a domino just slightly bigger, um, than the one that you knocked down before that it's compounding growth. It's not linear growth. That's compounding growth over time. And so, um, 
I think that that's, that's something you have to take to heart. Um, there's another book called the gap in the game. Mm. I think so, so many people, um, by Dan Sullivan, so many people are focused on what am I going to do that they failed to look back. They don't pause to say, if I look back over the last five years, how far have I come? Right. And you would amaze yourself when you start taking action. You know, it feels like you're taking teeny tiny steps in the process, but they accumulate over time. Um, that's why I love the power of the goal setting retreat because you get to, there's a whole section of it where you get to look back. Like, what did I do this last year and how can I build upon that? So I think it's so important to have milestones, right? If you're, if you're looking really far in the future and seeing the gap and, and, and not recognizing the gain, it's discouraging. You, you just see where you are and the distance between where you want to be some picture of what that is. Hopefully it's specific, but if you don't have clarity on the shorter term milestones you've worked your way back to, then you're not going to see those small increments and, and be able to make small changes and see small growth. You'll just continue to see this huge distance. And that's very discouraging. Well, and you have to trust the process, right? I just mm. went through this for myself. Um, you know, one of my someday goals uh, for health, um, I, I put down, I want to climb the seven, you know, seven tallest peaks in the world. I'm like, do I want to really want to do that? I'm actually still trying to figure out, do I really want to do that or not? But I'm like, it sounds cool. So I'm going to put it on my paper. If that's <laughs> what I want to do, like, how do I back this up? And I want to do it after my daughter graduates in seven years. So we're not exactly a 10 year plan, but, um, how do I back this up to like year one? Um, and, or even like today, like my year one for this goal starts in 2024, but like, I'm like, Hey, let's get a head start. I've got a couple more months left in 2023. Like my, my first step is literally recovering from my knee surgery. Mm. And, you know, you know, for most of us, we, we think of that like as an obstacle, but for me, it's something that I, a milestone I have to accomplish in order to, you know, um, achieve that larger goal. Next year, it's rerunning the the high mount high altitude race that I ran this year. I ran you know seventeen miles from Ure to Telluride over a thirteen thousand foot pass, um, and no small nice feet, work. guys. But it was beautiful, beautiful run. Um, loved every second of it. But I didn't really race it because my knee was hurting. I'm like, okay, next year I'm actually going to race it. Okay. Now that's only going up over a 13,000 foot pass. How am I going to do seven peaks in like one year? Right. I just have to trust the process. That little milestone. Again, that's a, I'm going to call it a little domino in the grand scheme of things. (laughs) For some people, they might be like, Wendy, you're crazy. I need to like run a, you know, do a, you know, a mile walk around the block. But that, that for me, that's a, a, a small domino. And each year I get to build on top of that. It's a great point, though, Whitney, because what you're saying is that everyone's domino is different and whatever small is to you might not be small enough for someone else. It's where you are at in your journey. And now that you told me this, I'm totally going to recruit you to do the Everest Challenge with me next year. 29 or 29 er Heck yeah. I'm down. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. I'll I'll send you the info. Um, At the end of this podcast, Whitney, I I wish we could keep you here all day because I want to pick your brain on even more tactics. And I'm going to encourage everyone to go and get the book. But at the end of this podcast, we always ask, what's the one thing? Someone's listening to this and you can leave them with one piece of advice, one tactic, one tool. What's the one thing you would want them to take away? Imperfect action. You know, take action, even if it's uh, scary or imperfect. You know, when you get down to that one thing, just take action because you can always change the action you take or the outcome. 
of that action. Well said. People want to check out the book or check out uh, Passive Investing or your school. Like, where can they where can they find you? Yeah, you can um, find uh, Passive Investing. You can register at PassiveInvestingWithWhitney.com. I've got some free goodies there for everybody. Um, ebook on Passive Investing Made Simple. You can get access to my calendar uh, where we can talk all things passive real estate uh, and some other educational materials. And if you're interested in you know more one-on-one help or in the book, uh, Money for Tomorrow, um, we'll put the link to the book in the, in the show notes. Um, and um, so that will probably be the easiest place. It's uh, getbiggerpockets.com forward slash Whitney. Um, that'll be available February 22nd. And you can also reach out to me on ashwealth.com if you're looking for you know more one-on-one help. And that's ashwealth.com. All right. Thank you so much for being here with us today. This was awesome. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. This has been amazing. Thanks, Whitney. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.